morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So glad to see you here today. This morning in our daily Bible reading, we read about the woman who came and knelt at Jesus' feet. She anointed him with perfume and she washed his feet with her tears and with her hair. And today I want us as the body of Christ to kneel before the Lord and tell him how much we love him, how much we honor him. Give him all of the glory this morning, all of our love. And that Jesus said she's doing this because she has been forgiven a great debt. How many of you have been forgiven a great debt in here? Amen. I'm so thankful for the cross. So thankful for Jesus this morning. Let's praise him and tell him how much we love him today.
this morning. Oh, Father, you have been so good to us, Lord. God, even when we're sinners, Lord, you loved us and you poured your love on us, Father. And we pour our love back on you this morning. And we proclaim that you are good. And we sing of your goodness and we testify of your faithfulness. You have never failed us, Lord.
house of the Lord on this beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day. That is one of my all-time favorites, the goodness of God. God has been so good and so faithful to each one of us today. Our missions offering focus today, we're going to focus on the children in the foster care system today. We're going to be partnering with Tri-State Foster Care uh, in making Easter treat bags for the older children that are in foster care. They have the younger ones covered. They always need help with the older ones. And so we volunteered to come alongside them and help. And we are going to be purchasing some Christian literature, some little booklets to put in their bags that tell the true meaning of Easter and how to accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. We're going to stick that in the bag, and then we're also going to be purchasing some gift cards to go in their little Easter treat bags. And, you know, I was thinking uh, to be 15, 16, 17, 18 years old in this day and time, is very hard but can you imagine being that age without parents to support you and just a lot of times being abandoned and then being into the, in the foster care system this is a critical age where we need to minister to these children and young adults and let them know that somebody loves you we're praying for you there's an answer to everything you've been through a lot but the Lord loves you, and he's good, and he's faithful, and he can save you and deliver you and help you. And so I'm excited to be able to partner with Tri-State Fostering to help those young adults. Ushers, you come forward as we receive our morning missions offering today. Let's give in faith from all of our heart today. Let's commit to pray for every person that will receive one of those bags and that they would accept the Lord as their Savior and they would know that the Lord loves them today. Let's stand and bring our offering forward today.
to see you in the house of the Lord. And you know, as Pastor Lisa is taking up that offering, just thinking about the hurting people of the world. And you know, you many times at your very worst situation and your very worst circumstances, we really don't understand how people are hurting right now as we're having this service right now. Young kids, as Pastor Lisa pointed out, don't have a mom and dad, don't have much hope or prospects for overcoming in life, lost hope, uh, joy, no faith in their life, and we need to pray for those individuals. And as we take up these offerings, I pray that during the week the Holy Spirit would just check you, that you would lift up a prayer for those individuals. There's people right now fighting a war. Whether they're in Russia or Ukraine, there's hurting people. There's a lot of people that don't want to be a part of all that. Amen? And as you watch the world news and see those hurting people over there, and the babies always get me. They always get me. It seems like they get torn in so many situations that these adults, you and I, create for them. And it's terrible. So right now, let's just pray. Right now, let's focus upon the hurting people of the world right now. And let's just ask God to intervene, amen, to, that somehow in a dream and a vision, through contact with someone who knows the Lord, that, that these people that are hurting today would come to find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now for the hurting people, Lord, all around us, Father, Lord, they're walking around us in the shopping centers, and Father God, the Walmarts around school and work with us, Father. Or maybe they're clear across the world in a war. Or maybe they're in the foster care system. Or wherever they may be, Lord, help us, your people, Lord, to do our job in praying for them that you, Lord, could reveal yourself to them in a powerful way and turn their world upside down in a good way. And so, Jesus, reveal yourself to those people, Lord, who are seeking and needing a Savior in their life. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So seeing, we've been talking quite a bit about that in the last couple of months and how vital it is that I guess every generation throughout history could say that. But I know that I know that we are living in a world of darkness and blindness and so many people think they know the truth or they are very quick to tell you what they believe and what they understand to be right. So quick and great confidence to tell you their worldview and how things ought to be. We've never been quite the way we are right now. So much pride and arrogance, even in this room today, even in you and me, then we think we know something. Listen to what Jesus said in John 9, 39. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, not to condemn sinners, but to distinguish the truth from error, to point out what is right, what is wrong, to help us to see what we need to see, that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. I can't tell you how powerful that word. Keep it up just for a moment. Jesus came into this world to help you and I who want to see. We're backwards. 
Our sin has taken a hold of our lives, and we, are be, we have been propelled in a direction that we really didn't want in our life, holding the pieces of a broken life on our hands as a result of all of our sin, but we don't want it. We want to see the truth. We don't want to go in the way of error. We want to know, even though, Lord, I am so far from where I need to be, Lord, show me the truth. Jesus came to open your eyes and open my eyes so that we may see the truth. Somebody needs to say amen right there. Boy, that's good news. But for those of us who say, I got it. I know what I know. I understand what I understand. Jesus said that I came to make you blind. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> and the third message in this series, we're going to go deeper into that. It's scary. 2 Thessalonians 2 as a hint. <coughs> to make you blind. I know what I'm doing. And you know, you can win an argument with your wife or your husband. And, you know, you've, you've bested them in your knowledge. Or maybe you are, are out there in the world and you encounter people and, man, they best you because they know and they've got a whole slew of people behind them that see it just the way they are and we are this and that. And I understand, and you know, that term, I don't even know what it all means really. Woke, we're woke and we got it and we got it all figured out. Jesus said, I came to make you blind. So that you live the rest of your life thinking you know, but there's going to come a day when all of the scales fall off your eyes and you're standing before the Lord and you will see that you did not know what you thought you knew, but it's too late. It's too late. So how important is, is it for me as a pastor and a leader in the body and you out there today who are believers to go, you know what? I don't think I know everything I need to know. And so, Jesus, please open my eyes and help me to see. That's where my heart's at right now. That's what this series is about. We're going to take an eye exam. We're going to take an eye exam over the next several weeks. And I'm glad we prefaced that by a series on prayer because understand right now as you're sitting there, as we've spent the last few months preaching God's word and giving you God's perspective on the need to pray, if you're still not praying, you're still going to be blind. I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to, you're going to enter into the, the temptation of thinking you know what you know and your pride is going to bring you places. I need prayer. I need to get in the presence of God and let him help me to see how serious is it? Isaiah 59, behold the Lord's hand. We gave it last week. It's not shortened that it cannot save. The fault is never with the Lord in my life, nor is he heavy. He's not deaf that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. How tragic how tragic, the sin problem that we all have, to not know why I cannot make a connection with God, to live my life in a frustrated manner, praying some of those prayers, Lord God, if you're out there, and yet we can make no 
connection, no life-changing connection, and we really don't know why. The reason simply is sin. What is sin? Sin is breaking God's law. Not your law, God's law. Not what you've established to be right and wrong, but what God has established to be right and wrong. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is living like you see things and not how God sees things. The law is not inscribed on tablets, on a mountaintop in stone, or just words that we read with black letters on a white page in our Bibles. It's beyond that. This is representative. Those commandments on those tablets were representative of who God is. The essence of who God is. His way of doing and being right. His rightness and his wrongness. And so when I come into agreement with him and begin to obey his word, his law, I become godly. I live like I am intended to live in a manner that is representative of the heart of God. When I don't do that and I break God's law, I become ungodly and I'm not godlike. But I want to establish this that law is not just some cold, dry do, do's and don'ts of this world. God's righteousness is who he is. It's the essence of who he is. It is being holy as he is holy. Romans 7, I want to I show you this, and this is our eye exam today. And literally, two or three months ago, the Lord laid this on my heart to preach some theological truth to you. And you know, I've got theology books that, you know, with volumes that wide, and I've got some this thick and so forth and so on. And our systematic theologies can be so large and so detailed and so many things. I'm going to narrow it, down, narrow, narrow it down to four things. Four things that I'm saying to you are must-sees. If you are on vacation right now, make sure that you are getting this word in your heart. I am going to preach four points. It's going to take me several weeks that are so vital that if you don't see it, stop in your tracks and get a hold of this. And I believe, you know, uh, you can, well, it's oversimplified. I don't know, four things. If you will get a hold of these things, to, at least to some degree, it'll protect your life and keep you going in a good way. The first one is this. Here's, here's our eye exam number one. Let's put that up for me, please. Can anybody read the first line? <laughs> the. Everyone read the second line with me. Exceeding. Maybe we're having a little trouble with the third line. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. And how many of you can read the last line with me? And its wages. Must see TV number one, Truth Vision. That's what I got to see. I have to see with my eyes, not my physical eyes, but my spiritual eyes, the exceeding sinfulness of sin and its wages. 
Where did you get that from, Pastor Kevin? Romans 7. You know, Romans 7, Paul is struggling with himself. He's struggling with what he wants to do versus what he ends up doing and so forth and so on. And he begins to talk about the law and its place in our life. And I'm just going to go start out at verse 7. Now, let me just say this. I am not expecting you to fully understand what I'm about to read to you. It is one of those passages that Peter said, even in God's word, looking back at Paul's writing, saying, listen, there's some things he says it's hard to understand, and what do people do with it? When they don't understand it, they just twist it to their own destruction. Have you ever heard, I'm not on the law anymore? Anybody ever heard that? And what does that mean anyway? I don't have time to go full-blown into that. But listen to what Paul said. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not, exclamation point. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong in God's eyes if the law, God's word in his essence, had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead, made me feel condemned. Not just feel condemned, condemn me. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, listen very carefully, and the church world today needs to hear this, but still the law itself is what? It's holy. And its commands are what? They're separate, they are godly, and they are right, and they are what? They are good. And I know you've been ripping down the Autobahn and your Porsche Carrera at 220 miles an hour, and you just love it. And sometimes you get out there and you just want to kind of cruise around looking at the German countryside, and you're only going 50 miles an hour, but the point is, you do what you want to do. And it makes you feel pretty good about things. I can floor it, or I can kick my convertible top down, and I can just enjoy the scenery around me. It's my decision. But all of a sudden, the lawmakers of Germany start putting up some speed limit signs. 70 miles per hour. All of a sudden, listen, before that sign was up, I was enjoying myself. But when that sign came up, all of a sudden I was introduced to a struggle within myself. Now, there's a struggle that wasn't there before. And I'm battling it. And when I drive 90 instead of 70, there's a condemnation at work in my life. And you know what? Those signs, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. No, the sign ain't bad. You're bad. Because that sign is there to protect you. Can I get a witness in the house? 
Every command of God is to bless you, protect you, get you to heaven, and get you blessed on your way to heaven. Can I get a witness in the house? Every word, every command. Let's continue reading. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death so we can see how terrible sin really is. The New King James says, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So that sin, what was the law's purpose? To show me through the commandment that sin is exceedingly sinful. That even sound grammatically right, does it? That's how the Holy Spirit wanted to say it. It uses, sin uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes to kick me in the teeth, make me feel guilty. But God didn't want to leave me there. We'll say more about that in a moment. In Romans 7, 14, here's the punchline. So, so the trouble is not with the law. Come on, somebody. In America today, the trouble is not with the law. Say it with me. The trouble is not with the law. Say it again. The trouble is not with God's right and wrong and his righteousness. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with who? The trouble is with me. For I am all too human and a slave to sin. I was born that way. And there's a, there's a tremendous cost to sin. Tremendous cost to sin. Romans 6.23, we know this verse. For the wages of sin is, for the wages, of, what, it, what it pays back to you, the wage of sin is, it's death. Physical death, yes, but not primarily. <clears throat> the wage of sin is death, death being separated from God. What is the greatest need in your life today? I hope you know the answer to this. What is the greatest need in your life today? What is the greatest need to the person who is so far out there in sin and degradation? What is the greatest need? What is the greatest need of those fighting a war? What is the greatest need of those in the foster care system? What is the greatest need for everyone in this room today? To make a connection with God. To make a connection with God to make a heart connection with God. But how tragic, knowing how much I need a connection, I cannot make the connection because of my sin. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's the sin problem. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. It's what's wrong with your family. It's what's wrong with going back to your house and that, that thing that seems to control the environment. The darkness that won't go away. What is the greatest need in your home today is to make a connection with God, for God to turn the light on, on and dispel all the darkness in your life and in your home and your marriage and your kids. But yet we're separated. What's the greatest need in this church today? What's the greatest need in every church in the world today is to make a connection with God, and yet we don't understand that our sins are separating us from God the greatest need in our community, what's the greatest need in our nation today is to make a connection with God. And God shows no partiality. 
For whatever nation fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. If I live in a nation that is not working righteousness and doesn't fear God, it's not accepted and we're separated from the goodness and the blessing and the protection that God so desperately wants to give this beautiful nation. There's a sin problem. I have made it a point not to sit in congregations when I'm on vacation or wherever out of town. I love to go to church. Everywhere I'm at, I go to church. I made a point in the last three, four years just to sit in that congregation and listen to what's being said and really pay attention. And not sit there like this, well, you know what, I wonder what they're going to do today and just kind of judge the environment and judge. No, no, not that at all. But to learn, to hear, to put my ear to the ground and hear. And I'm, I'm saying this without any exaggeration. Much thought, I, I thought through this thing to a great degree. I have never, never, especially in the last four or five years, ever heard in some of these churches and tourist areas and community-type churches where a lot of folks frequent that church, I've never heard this. You're doing wrong. And you need to stop it. You say, that's crazy. How could that be? That we've tucked the word repent and we put it away because it's really not something that's going to bless people. And the race stop signs create so much havoc today. So much frustration and so much persecution when you hang that red light, when you put the stop sign up, when you put the speed limit sign up, it creates so much warfare that somehow we've convinced ourselves that that can't be God. So you know what? And we're just going to kind of just preach these little messages, even though they're from God's word, but they're not confrontational whatsoever. How can it be? How can it be that Jesus, when he wrote those seven letters to the seven churches, how can it be that Jesus walking among the candlesticks of those seven churches, and you wonder why are these seven churches and the seven letters stuck there in the middle of Revelation? You ever wondered that? Revelation 1, the glory of Jesus, and then all of a sudden we're talking about the throne room and we're going on through the tribulation. What in the world is these, these, these parentheses of these seven letters stuck there in the middle of this apocryphal book? is for us to always be reminded to be, watch, to, to be watchful, to be ready to make sure that we are living in such a manner that we are ready for his coming. And do you know that five of the seven churches, you know what Jesus said? I have this against you. Come on, one time. Two. I have this against you. Two times. I have this against you. Three times. I have this against you four times. I have this against you five times. And I am demanding that you repent. You are not walking in my ways. You're doing this good, and I commend you for that. And I'm loving you. I'm on the same team with you. I'm not trying to condemn you, but you've got to get that right. And he said this, and if you don't get it right, if you don't get that sin out of your life, I'm going to remove my candlestick from its place. What does that mean? That means we'll drive up on a parking lot like this. We'll sit down in a church like this. 
But the anointing and the presence, the glory of God is nowhere to be found. And we'll say, where's the hand of God? Is it too short to reach me? Is the ear of God too deaf to hear me? And if you could hear heaven response, you would say, no. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have separated you so that he won't hear. It's a sin problem that we need to be aware of this day. I want you to understand that while I am still in my sin, uncovered, unatoned for, when I am still in my sin, it's not, that, it's not just that I can't get to God. That's not the worst part about it. The worst part about it is God, listen to me, cannot get to me. When I am living in uncovered, unconfessed, unrepented of, unseen sin in my life, not only can I not get to God, but God can't get to me. There's a gulf fixed between me and him that his holiness can never cross. And here's the problem. Well, you know what? I know somebody that would really, I know somebody that, yeah, yeah, they're in trouble. They're living like, Romans 3.23, for everyone, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us in this room, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you focus, no matter how hard you try to do right, you cannot attain the righteousness of God. We're all guilty. Come on. We're all guilty. For all of sin and short of the glory of God. You remember that story? I think we read it this past week, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Remember that story of the lame guy on the mat? And his buddies, you know, he said, you know what? Maybe his brothers, maybe his friends, I don't know, brought him down to let Jesus heal him. Because Jesus healing everybody. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And man, we need to get you down there where Jesus is at. You remember when he went down there, the crowds were so large and they couldn't get to Jesus and they got an idea. One of them said, hey, let's get up on the roof and tear a hole in it. And we'll let him down through that hole and we'll put him right there. We'll tear a hole right over Jesus and put him right down at the feet of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks up and straw is falling and clay pieces are falling, whatever it was. All of a sudden, a hole is being, nobody knows what's going on. All of a sudden, they're letting this guy down in a mat through that hole. And I want you to see in this moment what Jesus does and what he says. Look at it with me, Luke 5.20. When he saw their faith, praise God for that, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I wouldn't have expected that, to be honest with you. But do you understand what Jesus is saying right here? Your greatest need is not that your limbs function properly. Your greatest need is not that I get you off that mat. Your greatest need is not the breakthrough that you've been praying for. Your greatest need is that your sin problem be dealt with. Your sins are, who can forgive God? They start, you know, that's blasphemy. And Jesus said, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you 
or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the key is in 24, listen, but that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk and go to your house. I've been in certain circles back in the day where healing, 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 healing. Boy, boy, do we need healing. Not discounting that at all. My mom died of cancer. My father-in-law died of cancer. Boy, we need healing. And I'm all in. But I'm going to tell you what the church of America needs more than it needs the, the power and the glory to bring healing is to understand why the healing occurs. It is not just to fix your problem. The greatest, listen, the reason Jesus healed a blind man, the reason Jesus raised a dead, the reason Jesus fed the 5,000 is so that everybody would know, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the goal. He has power to forgive me of my sins. He has power to take away the sins of the world. It is what we need to see, the exceeding sinfulness of sin and how to overcome it. Does the world see the exceeding sinfulness of sin? I don't need to wait for a response. I know that you know they don't. My question to you is, do you? Do, do, do I? Do I really grasp the exceeding sinfulness of sin? Do I prove it out by what I say? Do I prove it out by how I communicate? Do I prove it out by how I relate to people that are destined, that are condemned already, that are destined for hell? Do I see it? They left, they, they left Egypt. God has an appointment with Moses up on the mountain. You know the story. He goes up to Mount Sinai, and he's up there 40 days, 40 nights. He doesn't eat anything, doesn't drink anything. He's in the presence of God. You know what he's getting? He's getting the law. He's getting God's way of doing and being right. In that day, they needed more written instructions because they didn't have the Spirit of God abiding within them. Now, the law is written where? It's written on our hearts. In addition to what's in God's Word, I know certain things because the Spirit of God is living inside of me. That's why I know right and wrong. Even someone lost with a conscience knows some things. If you don't sear that conscience, it'll tell you what's right and wrong. He's up there 40 days, 40 nights, and he's getting things like this. Hey, listen, if you dig a hole and you don't tell anybody about that hole and somebody falls in it, breaks their leg, breaks their leg and can't go to work, it's your fault and you need to bring some compensation to that person. If you've got an ox that's known to gore people and, you know, man, and you didn't make anybody aware of it, of it and your neighbor goes around your ox, all of a sudden he gores him, you know, you're responsible for it. Just what's right. He even gives in, gets into building codes. If you got this house and you don't have a parapet wall up there and you got people up on your roof and they're just, you know, congregating like they used to do back in the day and they fall off, it's your fault. You didn't have a parapet wall. He's telling them what's right, what's wrong. He's telling them so many things about sexual morality and so forth and so on. And it just, it's the law. 
All of a sudden, the Lord says, get down. Your people have made themselves vile. They're in sin. Get down, Moses. Go deal with it. And Moses goes, well, Lord, listen, it's not that big of a deal. Listen, I don't know what they're doing, but listen, you brought us out here. What are the nations going to say if you bring us out and you destroy the people? You know what? Lord, they're going to say that you couldn't take care of them. You were a deadbeat dad, and you know what? You don't want that on, attached to your name. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive them. Please, Lord, forgive them. Because I've, at your request, I'm going to cover their sin. And Moses pops down the mountain. He's got these two tablets in his hand. And all of a sudden, you know, they're going down. Joshua's kind of up the mountain waiting on Moses. And Joshua says, hey, listen to me. I'm hearing something. I'm hearing the sound of something. And they agree it's not the sound of war, though it sounds like it. It's the sound of people doing their thing. They made themselves vile. They rose up to play. And that word in the Hebrew has all kind of connotations of degradation and immorality and so forth and so on. They're in drunken orgies, and they have built a golden calf. And they love that golden calf. They love that golden calf. They fashioned it with their own hands. They could carry it where they wanted to and just pop it down where they wanted to. And if they wanted to do something that was kind of questionable, they would just turn him around and put his head that way so that he didn't see it. That's what Americans are doing. We are fashioning a God that doesn't exist. We are fashioning a God with our own hands that does not exist. That is somehow, you know, okay with the, what, with the way we do things. Let me get ahead of myself, and let me just say this. I know some of you right now are sitting there. We're going to talk about some of this, and you know you heard that news. You know, you hear on the news something about it in California. You know, they got these, this, this, this program to teach gender identity and, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, boy, girl, you know, da, 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 da. And all of you, 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 you say, well, bless God, I can't believe over there. They don't even know a five-year-old if he's a boy or a girl, and they're teaching him all that stuff. And it's horrible. It's horrible in your sight. And you know that you know that you know that's wrong. But what I want you to understand is there's things in your life that you don't understand that are just as offensive. Deal with that. But deal with this. This is why Moses sees it. When his eyes caught a glimpse of this calf, and the, he's just been in the presence of God. He's just heard the, and saw the essence of who God is and his holiness and his righteousness. And it's such an affront to what he just came out of that Moses all of a sudden loses it. You can spiritualize it all. He loses it. He is filled with wrath and indignation. He can't believe it. He throws the commandments down. What does it matter? What's the purpose of them anyway? He grinds the golden calf up, puts it in a fire, makes them all drink it. And he says, hey, whoever's on the Lord's side, whoever wants God's ways, get over here. And I'm talking about it was a scene. Pastor Kevin, why are you telling me that? 
Because I want you to listen to me very carefully. I don't care who you are, what your name is. If I know you, I don't know you. I don't care what background you are. I don't care if you're lost, saved. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You cannot feel what God feels until you see what God sees. You cannot feel. Moses, Lord, why are you so angry? You cannot feel what God feels until with spiritual eyes you can start to see what God is seeing. We're going to finish that story next week. There's more details I want to bring out. Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, chapter 1, what does it say? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, lifted up, train of his robe, filled the temple. If you read that passage, you'll read about seraphim, mighty angels, six wings, two they're flying, two they're covering their face. Before the throne, too, they're covering their feet in humility. And they never stop crying, what? Holy, 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 holy. And we've got to understand, not even love, 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 compassion, compassion. You can never know God's love and his compassion until you first see his holiness and the exceeding sinfulness of your sin. It is where the gospel begins. We can't bypass it. So I said, here's the response, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Stay right there. I want you to listen to me very carefully, Eagle Heights Community Church. You could have preached to Isaiah and those people a thousand messages on James 3. And the evilness of, his, of the tongue and its effect in our lives. And they had never moved. They had never repented. I want you to understand Isaiah didn't just hear, didn't hear a message on James 3 right here. What happened to him is he just got in the presence of the glory. And in the presence of the glory, all of a sudden, I, as I see him, I see me. And I understand that I am not measuring up. And I want you to understand this, this sin of the tongue here is not cursing. They wasn't saying blankety blank and whatever out there. It was simply this. We have certain ideas and thoughts about you and the world. Even some religious notions and we talk about it. Proud of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we talk about it. We talk about what we believe to be real. But, Lord, right now, I understand that I don't know what I'm talking about. And the people, they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. And though I'm a prophet, I really don't know who you are. 
And though we are your people, we really don't know who you are. We don't know your holiness. The one of the seraphim flew, having in his hand a live coal from which he took from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. What I want you to understand is when God reveals himself, he is not trying to condemn you. When you see yourself in the presence and the glory of God, it is no time to go sow fig leaves and hide from God in his, in his piercing eyes. God is simply trying to get you to understand so that you can repent, acknowledge your sin, get that right with him so that he can come close to you. So he can come close to you. That refining fire, that the blood of Jesus covering my sin so that, so that he can come close to me. The book of Job does the same thing. Job and his friends, he's got bad problems. Can we just be honest with you right, with ourselves right now? Seriously, I want you to think about this. How many of you in the room right now will say, I got a problem? How many of you be honest enough to say, I got a, several problems? <laughs> see, you're in the right room, right? <laughs> Why are they there? Why are they there? What do you need to do? Is it your fault? Somebody else's fault? What, what, what's the deal? It's taking you strength, and it's, it's, it's a battle, isn't it? It's warfare, isn't it? So we sit around, and we analyze, and we try to figure it out, and we stay up in bed at night, and we, go, we, we wake up, and all of a sudden, we remember it, and we have to toss that thing over, and we have conversations with ourselves in the day, and blah, 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 and it goes on and on. Job's lost everything. His friends come over there. They see the grief. It's so great in Job, they don't sit down for a week. Finally, somebody talks. They should have just shut up. And for all these chapters, some 40 chapters, they're trying to figure life out. And I want you to understand this very carefully. These are the elite men of the earth at that time. These are not dummies. These are people who know God. These are people who, who are going after God. These are people who are reputable. These are people who are mighty. <laughs> But I want you to understand something at some certain level, if it's a man, it's a man. I don't care if he's president of the United States or the greatest evangelist that ever lived or whoever he is, he's still a man. But we still see in a mirror darkly, and we still know in part. And they're analyzing this thing to death. Job, it's your fault. No, it's not my fault. I'm telling you, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. I don't understand it. Lord, if I could just communicate, if I had a mediator, if I could just, I would tell you my complaint. I don't get this, Lord. 40 chapters. You know the story. God reveals himself finally. Where were you when I, and he, he's, he's talking about the grandeur, the ma how, how, how amazing his creation is and and the depths of his understanding that brought all things that you see into existence. And Job has nothing to say. But I want you to listen to it very carefully. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything. And no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? I love the NLT. It is I. And I was talking about things 
I knew nothing about. Somebody say amen. You ain't better than them folks. And I ain't better than them folks. And I'm telling you right now, one visitation from the glory of God, and you would realize that the majority of what you think you know and understand about God would have to be thrown away, and you've got to start over. Somebody in the house. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, been in church, heard the messages, but now I have what? Somebody preach it with me. But now I've seen. Now I've seen. Now I'm seeing who you are and the essence of who you are with my own eyes. And I take back everything I said. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm blameless. I didn't do it. I'm sitting in the dust. I'm sprinkling ashes over my head. I'm rending my clothes. I'm so sorry I said anything, Lord. I don't know anything. God help me. Was God there to condemn Job? He just needed him to see. Was God there to condemn his friends? He just needed him to see. Job prayed for them, they got healed. Job got twice what he lost. Job prospered. It was all about, listen to me, seeing what you need to see so that I can come close to you in your life. Crowds are getting too large. I don't know how we're going to teach these people, guys. Oh, I know what to do. I'm going to get in, I'm going to get in this boat right over here. Whose boat is that? Oh, that's Simon's boat. I'm going to push out from the land. I'm going to use that as my pulpit and I, so the people can't crowd around me, and I'm going to teach the people. He finished teaching. Peter, Simon, still Simon, launch out in the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Oh, we've taught all night. There's no fish out there. They're not, they're not biting. Listen, you know preaching, I know fishing. Listen, this is not going to work. Nevertheless, at, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. Here it is. I will let down my, here we go. Let's go out. And they let down their net, and they caught a great number of fish, showed that the net was breaking. They had to call their partners to help them catch, bring this amazing catch in. But don't miss this, verse 8. When Simon Peter did what? What did he see? Was it about a bunch of fish in a net? He's not saved at this point. He saw the glory of the Messiah. He saw this is not just a rabbi. This is not just a teacher. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is he that was foretold by our fathers, the prophets. This is the Christ. And he fell down at Jesus' knees saying what? Get away from me. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. Don't miss that. How do you take in a catch that's going to pay all your debts off? and prosper you for the rest of the year. How do you 
Go to that place. Because when you're in the presence of the glory, you begin to see what you didn't see before. Nobody preached something bad about Peter. He's just in the glory. How many of you know we need the glory today? What do we say about what's going on around the church world around us today here in 2022? What do we say about what we're hearing all over the place? What do we say about all these things? Get your word, put it in your lap, shut your door, open your heart, cry out for discernment and wisdom. And read things like 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Is there any child of God in this room today? Raise your hand right now. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. My name is found. You do not understand, nor do I, how much love God poured out on you to bring you to that place. And therefore, the world does not know us because it don't know God. You're a strange bird to your friends at work. You're a strange bird to your lost family members. You're a strange bird to the other kids on the school ground. And you are not taking this holier-than-thou posture whatsoever. You're not looking down your nose. You're just Jesus, and you belong to Jesus. And there's a war, there's a persecution, there's a, I don't like you. And listen to me, I don't care how good you are to them, how nice you are. There's something that just doesn't connect because you're of God and they're not. And the world will not know you, nor will it love you. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been revealed yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't know exactly when we get our glorified body and everything that's going to entail. We don't get it all. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. Somebody say amen. For we shall see him as he is. I can't wait. And everyone, every child of God who has this hope, has this expectation in him, purifies himself. I'm not in the law. I'm not in the law. Don't put the law on me. I'm not in the law. I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm not in the law. But what are you purifying yourself from anyway? Getting yourself ready. Everyone who has God in them understands the need to come out from among them. Revelation, don't share in her deeds and her judgments that's coming upon Babylon and the world out there. Everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits what? And sin is what? It's living apart from God's law in your life. And you know that he was, this is the good news, that he was manifested. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. 
Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither what? I need somebody to say it loud. What do I know about myself if I live habitually? Can I run the stop sign every now and then? The other night I was following this car, they went straight through this intersection, right straight through, whoop, poof, never even slowed down, whoop, all of a sudden breaks. They realize what they did. See, when, you, when you're after God's heart, you, you might run through a stop sign, but it, you, you're not willful and wanting to come on disobey God in your life. If you habitually sin, you can be happy doing that. You have neither seen him nor known him. When you see people that can live in the world and the ways of the world, they've never seen God. They've never seen the glory of God, and they don't know him. Is that God's word? Somebody help me. Is that God's word? Little children, this is why the next phrase, Holy Spirit said, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteous, God's way of being and doing right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the what? We don't want to hear that. We don't want, but I'm telling you right now, either you belong to God or you belong to him. I'm not even going to say his name. Lucifer, Satan, the dragon, the devil, yeah, him. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Come on, somebody, that he might destroy the works of the devil in your life. Can Jesus do it? Has he done it? Yes, he has. He's done in my life. He's done in yours. When I was a 12, 13-year-old boy, I saw, at least to the degree I needed to, the exceeding sinfulness of sin in my life. As that band was invited to the church on one Sunday night, and he was singing the drummer. It was his special. He sang it every night because the anointing was on it with a broken heart, on bended knees. I'm begging you, please help me, Lord. Now I know I can't take it on my own anymore. I can't make it on my own anymore. With a broken heart, on bending knees, I'm begging you, please help me. It was the moment where I first saw the glory of God in my life. Don't, don't, don't over-spiritualize that. I just saw God in another place, in another perspective in my life, and I knew that I was lost, and I needed Jesus, and if I didn't get Jesus, I was not going to make it in this life, and definitely not in the life to come. That he might destroy the works of the devil. You ever read the context of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death? Let's read it right now. Verse 22 says this, but now you are free from the power of sin. And you have become slaves of God. Well, I thought I was free. I was free. I'm free. I could take my shoes off and just rejoice and just, oh, I'm this what? You know, if you need to do that, that's fine. There's times you need to do that. Jesus did that. David did that. His wife said, what did you do? You know, we, we can do that. But I'm going to tell you, when you see the glory of God, chances are you won't dance first. You'll be under the chair, and I'll be under the chair, like it used to be way back there when they really saw moves of God. 
I'm not free to do what I want to do. I'm a slave. But I'm a bond servant. Like Paul said, I want you to take the all, and I want you to put me on the doorpost, and I know I'm free right now, but I don't want to be free. I want you to punch that all through my ear to mark me as yours forever and ever and ever. I'm a slave. I'm a bond servant of God. And you know what he says I do? He says, jump. I say, ha, ha. I follow God in my life. I'm not a slave of sin anymore. I'm a slave of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness. Come on. Now you do those things that lead to what? And result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when I know, see, before I know that I need a Savior, I need to know I'm lost. Romans 3.23, for everyone who sinned, falling short of the glory of God. Look at the context. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. I cannot just do right in my life. By keeping the commandments of the law, you're not going to do, you're not going to get it straight. You're not going to get it perfect. You need the perfect one to represent you in the high court of heaven, and that is Jesus. Exhibit A, my hands pierced, my body beat, my blood shed for him, Father, your honor. Innocent. Handwriting requirements, all those past tickets, nailed to the cross, Jesus paid for them. Hallelujah. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the right the requirements of the law, as I was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we were made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone who sin and fallen short of the glory, God's glory standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Yes, the way in his death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But I won't go after the gift if I don't know I need it. Well, Paul, you know what? You, you know, you, you, you taught all these people living our day that, you know, well, you don't need to be under the law and nobody can whatever. And I, you know, I, whatever. And I don't want to get on all that. Burdens me and frustrates me and oppresses me every time I think about it. Really. Well, the word says, yeah, but I Googled something the other day. Well, the word says, yeah, but I, there's this guy, he's got this, you know, this blog. Well, you know, the word says, yeah, but there's this Christian singer, he's got this anointed music, and I just, you know, he put on Instagram, he, listen, phooey! Get back in the word. Get back in the word. Paul, you know what, you, you taught these people, you know, grace and mercy, and we're not in the law, what do you say about things? Listen to what he said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said on another occasion, I'm not worthy. I persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I did it in ignorance, blah, 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 blah. He didn't talk about that. He said, I am chief. 
That's the man that's been in the glory. That's the man that's been in the third heaven. He's seen visions, visions so powerful of who God is in heaven and what it's like that he had to have a messenger from Satan to buffet him to keep him from being too prideful. Here's a man who everybody would say, man, you're the apostle Paul, you're a great man. I'm going to tell you, I wish I could be like you. He said, you don't want to be like me because I'm chief sinner. Because when you're in the glory and you've seen heaven, you've seen the glory of God in heaven, all of a sudden those things about you that look okay to everybody else aren't okay and you've got to bring, up, bring them to the cross. And those weaknesses that you have in your life that I have and you have and we have, you worry too much, you get too angry, you do this and that and something, something, and you balance your whole life, it keeps you near the cross your whole life. And you know you've got to live there. Can I get a witness in the house? Let's go back to last week's this verse. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You look up the Hebrew word there for regard, and more than the vast majority of the time, it is, it is, it is translated see. Here it is. When I come to you in my love, and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, and you see what I see, and you do not deal with it, I'm going to shut things down until you get that right. I'm not going to hear your prayers. I'm not going to give you breakthrough. Keep reading. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended the voice of my prayer. There's no willful sin in my life. I'm under the blood. I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. And so I have fellowship with him, with you. And the blood of Jesus cleansed me from all of my sins. But certainly God has heard me. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. How many of you need mercy in your life? Well, when God shows you something, do with it. Do something with it. Amen. I wanted to say this last week, but I want you to understand, just coming to church is not enough. There's got to be some wrestling times in your life. We can talk about prayer. We can talk about prayer class. I'm just telling you, you've got to get somewhere and get along with God. And by the way, let me just say this real quick. The, 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 the level of glory that, we, that is experienced in a local church is determined by you and me as individuals. You can't just pray down glory. It comes out of me and you. We make the, the place for God to do what he needs to do. So Jacob wrestles with God. You know, he's about to face his brother. He's scared. And all of a sudden, he's worried and he's fretting like he's got problems, right? And all of a sudden, boom, an angel appears and starts wrestling with him on the ground. It's a crazy story, you know? And he's wrestling, Jacob's wrestling this angel, and he's wrestling, and he's wrestling, and he's wrestling, and he's alone with God. He's in everybody over, wife, kids, everything, and now he's alone, and he's wrestling with God. And the angel says, let me go. Enough is enough. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. No, 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 no. I need your blessing in my life. And the angel says, something's very strange, what is your name? Did heaven know what his name was? His name was Jacob, which means cheater. He cheated. Esau, he cheated, he cheated, he cheated, he cheated. He was a cheater. What is your name? My name. I'm ashamed to say it. It's cheater. I'm a cheater, okay? Your name shall no longer be cheater. 
but Israel, father of nations. And in the process of that wrestling, the angel touched the hip of his socket, the strongest part about that man. And when it was all over and he had been blessed and God blessed him there, the Bible said he walked with a limp the rest of his days. Come on, somebody. Jacob, why do you walk like that? Because I wrestled with God. Got my name changed. Got my future changed. Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurt. Still caught, yeah, still caused me problems. But I wouldn't take that moment in time and that wrestling and that overcoming sin in my life for all the millions and billions and this and that and relationships and whatever in my life because I have wrestled with God and prevailed. You understand this, don't you, Miss Cindy? You gotta stop being religious. This Moses up on the mountain and this massacre has occurred and he you know what he does, Paul? He pitches the tent, gets his little Coleman out, puts the little sticks up, and he says, This is gonna be the tabernacle of meat, this is where I'm gonna wrestle with God. God, don't tell me you're not gonna be with us anymore. Don't tell me I'm, don't tell me that. I need your presence. Don't lead us up from here unless your presence goes with us, Lord. I didn't want this job. I didn't make me be born. I didn't ask for this life, Lord. You, you made me fearfully and wonderfully made God. I just, I'm just living. I need your help. I don't know how I'm offending you. I don't know. We don't know. God, we're stiff-necked people. We, we, I know we don't get it. But Lord, show me your ways. Listen. Listen to what this man is doing. Listen to what you need to do. Lord, I'm, I'm in this prayer class today. Show me now your ways. Right? I, I, I just need to see not my standard, not what Rhonda thinks, not what anybody else thinks. I need to know what God thinks about my life. I need to see about me what God sees. Not to be condemned, but to be changed. To have my sin covered so the blood of Jesus can make me and put me in a position where God can get close to me. How many of you know you need God close in your life? Show me now your ways. What about going back to a prayer like Psalm 139? Search me. Stand to your feet. Team, come up. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxieties, those fearful things in my life that keep me from trusting you. Lord, that keep me going in the wrong direction, Lord. Those things that keep me, Lord, in my brain thinking you're so far from me. It's no use. I might as well just act like a fool. See what those things are in me, Lord. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know the context of that? Dr. Dave, remember that? That's that Psalm 139. That's that one that says, where can I escape from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the deepest parts of Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning like a bird and fly out to the farthest parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. If I'm cloaked in darkness, Miss Agnes, even the darkness is going to be light to me. You're going to take care of me. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. 
Before I lived one day, Lord, you fashioned me. You wrote my story. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't attain it. But yet, at the end he says, search me, O God. Come on, somebody. Y'all get that? Is that legalistic? Is that being? No. It's understanding I must hear from God in my life. Pastor Kevin, you can do some things for me, but you can't do everything for me. You can teach me a couple of things, but I got to take that and I got to go work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I said enough. Let's humble ourselves. And let's just know right now that even though God loves you and you, you like last week, I cannot be alone. A week before, I cannot be alone and God loves me and he's got a plan for my life and all of the rest. I've got to see my sin. That I've been excusing, making no big deal out of it. You look at, I've told my boys many a times, don't look for anybody to give you an example of what to do is right. That's right. You're not going to see anybody, probably, that's going to do what the Word is telling you to do right here and Daddy's telling you to do from the Word. Paul said, measuring yourself by yourself and comparing yourself among yourself, you are not wise. How do you know what you are when you're not wise? You're a fool. want the truth? You want the truth about you? You want the painful stuff? Do you know that God loves you enough to know He's not going to leave you there? But I can't put a band-aid on it. I can't shut that door to my life and lock it off and never go there. He wants to see it all. He wants to bring light to everybody. He wants to forgive you, wash you, take your shame, your guilt away. I've got to see these things before I can be covered. They've got to be exposed before they can be covered in the blood. Somebody said, I love when you talk about your grandbabies. Me too. I left my phone at home. I, man, I just... Love it. I've done some weird things in restaurants. Got five grandbabies, one on the way. The fifth is on the way. Eva, have we decided on Grace yet? Eva, Grace? We don't know yet, okay. We're not worried about Josh. We'll, we'll work it out. Got a little Ella Kate. <laughs> Hilarious. Little Elise, my little Emmy Rose, little Luke. Man, they stopped my world. I just love them to death. But they're all going to hell. Every one of them's going to hell. Unless Jesus intervenes. pray. Let them get saved as soon as they can, Lord. Four, five, six. When they come to understand who you are in their sin, Lord, show them, help them. They need Jesus to save them. 
precious as they are. And I know you're wonderful. I know you're good. I know all these things. I know, you know, you do, you don't say an unkind word. I get all that, but you're a sinner. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. You need Jesus in your life, not church. You need church. Church is not going to save you. Coming to church, giving your money, volunteering is not going to save you. All your best is just filthy rags. You need Jesus and the blood of Jesus to cover your sin. Amen. But what do I do? What do I do? Nothing. Just give up. See it. Own it. Confess it. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what confess it means in the Greek? To say the same thing. Lord, I see it. Say the same thing you do. I get it. I see it. Say the same thing. It's sin. Confess it. Own it. I'll wash you. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. Come on, somebody. Some of you need to wrestle. Do some wrestling in your life. Isaiah 1. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this. Isaiah 1. Come now. And let us what? Reason together. Get in that cleft. Get in that tabernacle of meeting. Wrestle it out. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they, come on, shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I mean, though Jesus is the only one who can do that. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How many of you know I would rather reason and say, I get it. Seeing that wrestling is where I've got fear in my life, and I feel like God doesn't love me, and I feel like, you know what, I'm just, I don't know, there's no way, God, and you, I'm not special to you, and oh, God, I, I cannot trust you. In that place, God will say, it's like he told Peter, fear not. Depart, fear not. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. John, I've seen you. You used to lay my head on your breast. Remember me? Oh, white as wool. Oh, fire. Eyes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, bell. Oh, son of. Oh, my goodness. Oh, glory. Fell at his feet as a dead man. Revelation 1. Jesus reached out and touched him with his hand and said, What? Fear not. I just need you to see me. I need you to see you in the light of me. See my forgiveness and my love. And we get on with this thing. God, I pray. God, I pray for our people. God, I pray for the 12-year-old in here today. The 10-year-old, the 13-year-old, the 15-year-old God, or the 70-year-old. Things that are hard to understand sometimes in the Word and trying to we get in the ditch here, we get, Lord God, please help us. Grant us grace to repent. Open our eyes. What do you want me to do for you? I hear you calling out. What do you want me to do? Lord, that I might receive my sight. How many of you can know, how many of you can say this with, with, with all certainty? We, I, I, I need to see more than I'm seeing. 
about me, about my family, about my church, about the world around me. I need to see things from your perspective. Raise your hands again. Father, grant it. Grant it the days and weeks before us, God. Grant it. Help us to see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and yet the power of the blood of Jesus that can wash us, cleanse us, and justify us. Save every soul. Right now, call upon the name of the Lord if you need to be saved. Say, Jesus, save me today. I see it. Wash me. Cleanse me. Save me, Lord. God bless my family and my home. You pray that. There's some wicked way in our home, Lord. It's separating, Lord, your presence from us. God, work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure, Lord. Fix me, fix us. Oh, my God. Cause our home to be a welcome place for your spirit. God, I pray for my church right now. Lord, we just cannot come and sing songs and preach sermons. We need your glory that brings change, Lord God. In this hour, revive your church. Rally the remnant, recover the remnant. God, on our nation, Lord, this beautiful land that you've given us, so blessed from your hand, Lord, please, we don't want to give it to the dogs. We know, Lord God, we want it to be a land, Lord God, you find acceptable. Do whatever you need to do to raise us up as the remnant to cause this nation once again to be called a righteous nation. Forgive me for focusing on politics to do that. It's me and you, Lord. Our prayers. Only you can do it. Amen. Amen. What are y'all playing? That's... Let's sing that on the way out. You know, the Lord spoke to my heart about taking this time to wait upon the Lord. I pray that that's in your heart to come to this place and to wait upon the Lord and not do a church service, but to come for the express reason of hearing God in our life and then responding to what God says. Is there any rally in the room that will say, yes, Lord? Yes! Thank you, yes! Come on, let's sing it, Sarah. Oh my. 